You're listening to Culture Matters, a podcast of the Village Church. This is Adam Griffin, and I'm joined again, as usual, with my co-host, the Adam Hawkins. Adam, what is your favorite possession for which you either purchased at a thrift store, resale shop, or was handed down to you from somebody else? Yeah, um, so my grandfather, uh, he was a boxing champion in the Marines. Really? Yeah. Um, much different if anybody knows me. They're like, wow, you didn't get <laughs> I look at you and I think whatever boxing that champ was, jeans. you didn't get it. <laughs> um, but but they gave him like a, it's almost like a letter jacket, but in the Marines, I don't really know how to describe it. It's all blue, it's corduroy, and uh, it's really cool. And he gave it to my brother and I, so. Well, who has it right now? Your brother or you? Uh, it's sitting in one of our closets. We have like a storage Oh, it sounds together. like you really, really care about this we do, jacket. We do care about it. It's like, I don't want to wear it because I don't want to ruin it because oh. it's like an heirloom. Like it means a lot to me. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. And we are also in the studio today with the Elizabeth Woodson. Elizabeth, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Good, I'm so glad you're with us. Same question, what is something that you have that somebody has handed down to you or that you purchased that used to belong to somebody else? I have my grandparents' vinyl records. And so it ranges from the OJs and the Shy Lights Mm. to just the sacred side of Jackie Davis. (laughs) 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 So it's fun to see what they were listening to. And I just remember them as I play the records. That's so cool. I don't have anything like that. Thanks for asking me the question, Adam. Uh, It's fine. No, let's just move on. The reason I'm asking this question today is because this episode is about redemption. It's about being bought back. It's about used to belong to somebody else. Now you belong to this person. And we're talking about how redemption is a cultural, uh, cultural thing, a cultural meme, a cultural idea that has its best root in Christianity and the story of the gospel. So let's, without further ado, get to this episode. Most of Culture Matters, most of our episodes, we do theology in a certain way where we start with a cultural topic, and then we connect it to the Bible and connect it to a theology. But we're doing a series right now where we're going to do the opposite. We start with the theology. We've talked about the fall in the last time we did this. Today, we're talking about the redemption, the concept of redemption. That's why we have Elizabeth Woodson with us today. Elizabeth, who teaches uh, several classes here at the Village Church from the Village Church Institute staff. The class you're teaching right now is called? Christian Belief. Christian Belief, which I also hold some Christian beliefs. I bet I would find that class fascinating and you've taught on redemption recently or it's upcoming soon it's upcoming so we just talked about sin which was the most riveting and exciting Mm. lecture everybody left just so happy (laughs) (laughs) so happy um but i said yeah we're gonna talk about the bad things so we can talk about the good things Mm -hmm. next time so we're gonna come back on top you know i love it because you can't you really see the beauty of redemption unless you see the darkness and depravity of sin right and if you don't understand like the good friday nature of christianity Mm -hmm. you can't understand the easter nature of christianity so in redemption let's start before we get any further redemption is kind of a big Christian ease word, although in our culture we use the word redeem for a lot of things, especially when it comes to coupons and purchases. Adam, can you help us out with a simple definition? When I say redemption, what am I talking about? Yeah, so the simplest definition uh, is probably just the in the in the one that maybe is most like monetary. I don't know. I don't know if that's the right word, but economic or something okay. is the idea of simply to purchase back, to buy back. That's what redeem would mean. Uh, or um, um, 
And then you can think of things like bring this coupon to redeem your X Y Z. So there's you a sense, it, ex- right? yeah, and it's 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 an exchange that happens. Yeah. I think though within Christianity, uh, the the idea of redemption is certainly that it's the purchasing back, but it's um, but it encompasses more because it's tied to something bigger in the gospel narrative. That's what I would say. So redemption is not simply being purchased back. It's There's also an idea of renewal. There's also an idea of transformation. There's the idea of uh, salvation, justification, sanctification tied up in that. I know some people, I, I had a, a, a friend who one time told me that Christians get redemption wrong. Redemption simply means to buy back. That's all it means. Mm. Uh, and I just disagree with him. I do think when Do you we, want to call him out right now? No, I don't want to call him out. <laughs> but I do want to say that when I look in the scriptures and I see sort of uh, uh, the scriptural idea of redemption, it does seem to encompass more than simply you were purchased back the end, you know? Yeah, it, what is that more? What's more than just the purchase? Are you talking sanctification? Like it's also about like a... Uh, personal redemption. Yeah, I mean, I think it would make sense to say God is redeeming you. Yeah, like as a process. As a process. Um, uh, certainly, though, it also means he did buy you back. You've been transformed from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Yeah. You were once this, now you were this. Uh, that you have received this free gift of grace is something we've talked about before. So, like, yeah. you know, uh, I think all those things make sense when talking about redemption. Now, what I, we don't want to blow up the category so far that it means nothing, right? Everything's sure. redemption, so that nothing thing is. But I, I do think it's bigger in the Christian sense than simply saying there's a there's a exchange made. Yeah. Although I do think that captures it. So I don't want to... Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you can say at the same time that in Christ's death and resurrection, he made all things new. And at the same time, he is making all things new. That's right. right? Yes. Like there is a complete sufficiency in what has been accomplished on the cross. We're not saying it's insufficient. He's still working on it. And we need daily uh, Christ to die on the cross again. Yeah. We're saying is that in that act, in that sacrificial act, mankind who believes in him has been bought back. Yes. And that it was completely sufficient for all mankind. Uh, l- let me put it this way. I think when you say things like God's redeeming culture, I don't think that's false. Like, or in this sense, God is redeeming my view of marriage. Like, Good. you know, yeah, yeah. I think those things, I don't think that's a misnomer because if you just th- use the buyback term, what what you're literally saying there is God's buying back my v- picture of marriage. And it's like, well, that doesn't make sense. No. So there is something else. It's almost else. like a realignment, yes. a reorienting yes. around because a of the gospel. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Elizabeth, help us. You are a teacher of the Bible and you're extremely proficient at it. When it comes to teaching redemption, what are the scriptures that first pop into your mind when it comes uh, to clarifying redemption scripturally? You know, I think one of my favorites is Ephesians chapter two, um, this idea that talks about we were dead in our trespasses, broken in our sins, Mm -hmm. unable to save ourselves. I think that's a real key when we talk about redemption is not that I can be good enough, that I can earn it. It's that someone outside of me had to save me. Yes. Um, And this idea, it, it talks about in Ephesians 2, starting at verse 1, of just how bad things were for us. Yes. But then in verse 4, it says, but God. But God. But God, his love for us, that he chose to solve our problem that we created with himself. You know, I'm just reflecting on um, the different material that I use to prep my class and just as I think about who God is and the reality is that the blessing of the Christian life is that we get God himself, yeah. that we were intended to be in community with him and that community was broken at the fall. And that what God does is he creates a solution through the person and work of Jesus Christ to bring us back into fellowship with Amen. him. That's so beautiful. What about you, Adam? What scriptures pop into mind? We talk about the, the concept, the reality, the story uh, about redemption. Yeah. Um, 
for me, in, in teeing it up with that question, I think of Romans 3, really, uh, I'll just jump forward to verse 23. Um, but this, this, I'll just read it for us um, once I get to it. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And that it's exactly what Elizabeth was saying. It's the the idea that um, that we have been redeemed, we have been purchased, and we were and that had a great cost to it, right? And that cost, though, was not a cost we paid. It was a cost that Christ paid by Excellent. his blood. Yeah. yeah. And I think over and over again, you see that in Scripture, right? We see that all the way from the beginning in Genesis. We see Adam and Eve who, uh, who sin, who rebel, who are traitors against what God has asked them to do, who betray him. And then uh, instead, even though uh, the punishment is that you will die, and the truth is they will one day die, but in that instant they don't die. Someone else dies, though an animal is killed to clothe them. They are covered with the skins of an animal. And you see that story over and over and over again in scripture. You see it in uh, Isaac and Abraham, where instead of Isaac being sacrificed, a lamb is sacrificed. At the Passover, you see instead of the firstborn son uh, dying for the children of Israel, instead they kill a lamb in its place. And they even set up a whole sacrificial system. And the day of atonement, where one sheep is killed for the entire people group of the children of Israel, where there is a sense of uh, the um, the concept of justice is intricately connected with the story of redemption. Yeah. You cannot have the story of redemption if you don't have an understanding of justice. And justice in our culture is something that we see all the time right now. It's in the news all the time. Social justice. Who's gonna just uh, Who's gonna get justice for this? Elizabeth, how does the concept of justice connect with the story of redemption? Yeah, I mean, I think it is the reality that there was an offense against God. Yes, um, right. sin is us not enacting with God's moral law. So when you think about God's moral law, it is this idea that God's standard for living is his own character and nature. Mm. And so when we do anything outside of that, we have broken God's moral law. And there's a price for that, um, that he holds us accountable for that. But with the salvation and this idea of redemption, Jesus Christ is the one who pays the price for that, not Mm. us. Um, And so... God is justified. His penalty has been paid. He just chooses to do it in some sense himself, which is the beauty of the gospel um, that God, in his love, made a way for us um, that we could be in community with him. And he initiates that. As you were talking about the different ways we see redemption throughout the story of scripture, to me, it's just this was God's plan from the beginning. Like it wasn't something, oh, I need to do something now. It was before he created us, he knew we'd mess up. But he also knew that I'm going to redeem them, buy them back, so that my plan for humanity can be brought to completion. Let's talk a little bit more about this idea of justice, about this idea of redemption. Uh, Adam, where, where in our culture, when it comes to art and expression, do you see kind of philosophically us making statements about justice and about punishment and about a price being paid for mistakes made? I think one of the concepts of justice, too, is the the idea of justifying. Elizabeth used that term, and I think it's really great. Uh, the idea of, and I think maybe we see it really big in the culture, in justifying yourself. Yes. So I just want to say, like, we'll say, uh, you know, th- this person, they redeemed themselves, right? Oh, and so yeah. there's this, this— Totally redeemed yourself. You totally redeemed <laughs> yourself. Yeah, so like, the, but the idea of, like— um, 
And I think that's the difference in the Christian story that we pointed out is that we need something outside of us to yes. redeem us. Whereas I think in culture we do see um, a, a, a picture. We do see that some in the super, in superhero stories that we that something outside of us that other comes and saves and rescues yeah. and, and and gives meaning and all of these kind of things. I do think you see it in sort of the uh, a lot of these overcoming stories, right? Like yeah. I think of Rocky. I think I'm thinking a lot of of movies. The underdog Cinderella. Story, dog, the Cinderella story, and they like come from humble beginnings, but they somehow, or they make a mistake, but they were. You also see that in a lot of even our ro- romance movies. There's always got to be a place where the in the in the romantic story a character makes a mistake. Yes, but then they redeem themselves usually with a flowery speech or a kind gesture or yeah. something like or that. Or realization, right? Or realization. They realize how they made or, a mistake. Yes. there's almost a repentance moment. Almost right? a repentance moment. Yep. So I would say, yeah, I think I think all of those are places where we see echoes, maybe maybe um, deformed. Yes. Do you know what I mean? I think absolutely deformed. I think yeah. that's why the scriptures that come to mind to me, like John six, where it says, where Christ says, "No one comes to the Father unless the Father draws him," which is this incredibly clear picture of man's inability to just be the hero of their own story. Yeah. You cannot just wake up one day and say, okay, well then I will follow the father whether he wants me to follow him or not and I will save myself whether he wants to save me or not. But rather, our story of justice is that it would have been justice, like you said in Romans 3, for us all to die. The wages of sin is death. And the free gift of God, Romans 6, 23, is is salvation in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ alone, we believe that it's an exclusive claim of following Christ that saves. But it's, while the gift is free to us, we believe it comes at incredible cost to God, that God has paid an incredible price for what our sin was. So sometimes when we talk about redemption, we can treat grace very cheaply, Mm -hmm. right? We can just kind of extend grace for mistakes made without thinking about the exact weight of the cost of overcoming the sin of the world, the sinful indulgences, the justified vengeance and sin of our world where Christ paid that incredibly costly price. Because Christ, as generous as he is with grace, he is incredibly serious about sin. And so redemption is not a way of making light of the fall. It's not saying, hey, the fall was not a big deal because Christ overcame it. It's the fall was such a big deal, is such a big deal. Humanity's lostness is so huge that it takes the life of Jesus Christ, an innocent life, to justly pay the price for all of the sin for mankind. Mm. So let me bring this to the ground a little bit. How does this affect us in culture? Before we talk about it kind of practically, Adam, you're so good at this philosophically. Can you give us kind of an ethereal, like off the ground view of how redemption should maybe impact the way that we create and the way that we interpret, the way that we consume things in culture, the way that we receive salvation, need salvation, seek justice, find justice? I think there's a lot there. Um, and and when, when, I, um, when I'm thinking about it, it is a question that makes me think about my own life first. So I do get practical. I want people to know, like, am I creating in such a way that I'm letting this narrative really really, really play out in my life, right? Yeah. Uh, am I cultivating my relationships in such a way that I am <laughs> I am remembering first and foremost and being shaped by the fact that I have been purchased, that I have been redeemed? Uh, and, and then do I let that sort of overflow into all of my life and relationships? Um, do I consume? That's a big one. Do I consume in such a way? Uh, but, but you're asking more like 
how should it look for the church? How should, and my hope is for all of us that it is, it's very, it's very much shaping how uh, Christians create culture, create communities, create art, uh, that it is shaping how we cultivate and it's shaping how we consume. Um, I will say that uh, I, I don't know that I see it all the time. I think the world, whether we like it or not, has a, has a, um, man, will infect the church. Uh, there is a sense in which we bring our, that baggage in with us. Yeah. And so we just need to be very intentional about, about countering those stories and narratives. Here's, here's some ways that I, that I think about that. I think it can even just be the narratives that we are, um, sort of allowing to run in our own heads uh, about ourselves and about other people. So when I think about creation, it's as we interact, am I going to believe the best about you? Am I going to see you as a redeemable person? You know, there is a question of, you know, a lot of times it's like, well, nobody's worthy. It's like, okay, that's true. But this gift is for everybody, right? Um, I think it, I think the way cultivating culture, I think there is a culture of, uh, sort of a mob mentality of shaming people. It's a forgiveness-less culture that we live in today. Yeah. And am I going to participate in that, you know, yeah. especially as it relates to social media? People's bad days. I, I mean, I've seen a couple where somebody, like, had a bad day on an airplane. It gets captured on social media. It's sent everywhere. I know some lady was fired because of something sure. one time. It's like because of these the, the, the people online who are every bit as guilty as everybody else who exploit that idea. Um, and then, and then I would just, I know I'm, I'm being very ethereal, but I also think, uh, I, I, I think in consuming, this is where maybe we need to be really, really aware. Maybe this is where it gets the most practical. And I brought up before that in the stories we consume, um, I, I think we need to be honest with ourselves about the brokenness of the world. But, uh, I do think, and I'm thinking about music, I'm thinking about art and I'm thinking about shows. Those are the low hanging fruit. I think yeah, when we're talking about, but culture. I think those are helpful Books. examples. Go ahead. Um, I just, I do, this is something that's been like on my mind a lot, but the idea of the anti-hero and culture yeah. being, being something, it's like where all the stories seem to be moving towards. I think of Walter White from Breaking Bad. I think of Tony Soprano. I think of, there's a, there's almost every, Dexter. Where the hero is a criminal. The, the hero right? is, and, and yes, people are complex. I also mm-hmm. don't think the cookie cutter, like, you know, black and white is always great either. But I do think, um, when we start lionizing and holding up, um, um, these uh, uh, morally broken figures and start to say, well, let's get behind them and cheer them. I think it has a big effect on our culture. I think it has a really big effect on our culture. I think it means that some of the leaders that we put in office, we start to make the same excuses, that we look for the anti-hero in politics. Sure. We look for the anti-hero in in uh, uh, the anybody, really, that we yeah. hold up. And it becomes this sort of morass of nihilism. It's like, well, nobody – there is no real good or bad, you know? Yeah. It's just what I say and – do you, do you know what I, I mean? Know exactly it's what individual expression, but I think it's, I think it's still connected with the same idea of the human's understanding and kind of like a um, detector for justice. Yeah, because we can justify the antihero if it's because Walter White has cancer, he's trying to take care of his family. Yeah, and we want to see him win. Yeah, and we can justify it with Tony Soprano because he's a family man and we want to see him win. And they make him uh, as much as an antihero, as much as he's chasing things that God would warn against. 
people will root for heroes like that because to them it can seem like justified justice. Similar right. how justified indulgence can happen with celebrity culture, politician culture, where it's like, well, we all sin, we all mess up. Who could we elect if not? And so we will then, as an excuse to say, well, since there is grace or since sin is common, then we will indulge in this. And yeah. so it can be justified and not just justice. But let me bring another ground in. I want to, Elizabeth, bring you into this conversation here at this point too. When when we understand that we are a forgiven people, so we are a forgiven people in the redemption in Jesus Christ, how does that make us more a forgiving people? Mm. How does our understanding of what Christ has done for us change the way we interact with the world that may not think about uh, what we are owed the same way we think about what we are owed? When somebody sins against us, may not treat it uh, where the world may say, well, then you have justified vengeance against them. We would say, well, we think forgiveness is better than vengeance. We think vengeance belongs to the Lord. How does being a forgiven people make us a forgiving people? And I think, and Adam said something that really hit me is, do I see someone as redeemable? Mm, That's good. It's like that God offers the same gift of redemption to everyone that he offers to me. And do I interact with people like that? Um, And this idea that, I think in in forgiveness and someone does something to wrong me and I'm looking for justice, that to me, the ultimate end is in me having this feeling that what was wronged, um, that what was done to wrong me has been made right. Mm-hmm. And for us as believers, we have an end that's above that. Yeah. Yes. And so how do we pull people to the end is not you, the end is the Lord. Yes. The end is us and imaging God and reflecting his character and nature to humanity and to creation. Um, and what we do when we engage with people like that, because that's not the norm, no. that I'm going to offer you something and not ask for anything in return. Right. Yeah. And it's not some type of trick. Like I'm not going to treat you differently if you don't return it to yes. me. It's not for manipulation purpose. Right. Yeah. I'm not I'm going to be gracious because that's just who I am. Mm. I'm going to be loving because that's just who I am. I'm going to look for um I think as we have the conversations about justice and the disenfranchised, those who do not have a voice, I'm going to be the one in the front line seeking to love them as yes. God has loved me. Yes. Um And it's such a powerful testimony when we see people in culture forgive others for atrocities that have been committed against them. I think our greatest testimony of the gospel is how we live our lives. And people see there's something really different about you because there's no way that you could have done that on your own. And that people can live in peace um, and release the weight and burden that they carry based upon waiting for something to happen that may never come. We may never see justice in certain things. Um, Even though the Lord calls us as a people to seek justice in a way that glorifies him, there's just some interpersonal relationships where we may not get that. And the burden and weight that that carries on people and for us to help them walk in the reality that even though you might not be able to enact justice, our God does. Because it's not that stuff just goes without being handled. We just believe that our Lord handles it ultimately. Yeah, I think truth has to be a necessary component of all of that. Mm -hmm. So uh, when I think about it, it's like... um, some people could hear this through the lens of of uh, um, that idea of just, well, you should just forget. Like it's very – the idea of redemption, we know how to speak about it right. really well when it comes to perpetrators. We right. do, of, of injustice. 
which we all are, which we all which are. are yeah. But our narrative, like the uh, the cultural narrative, is not that we all are. It's that some are, are. villains, That's some right. are evil. That's right. And honestly, I think our culture is much more satisfied in the punishment of those we see as That's villains right. as the redemption and reconciliation. Right. I think of, and I want to hear the rest of your thought, but this is just popping in my head that there are so many narratives that we would not enjoy watching the movie, hearing the story, listening to the song if the villain was not justly punished. If we heard them just restored and reconciled, that is not as satisfying a story to us. Unless you're watching like, I think of kids movies like Despicable Me where the guy starts as the villain and by the end he adopts the kids and loves the kids. That's sweet for kids. We think, oh, that's sweet. But to us, it's almost unrealistic and unsatisfactory because in our sinful nature, we want to see those we see as the villains punished. Unless we believe we are the villain, then we want grace. Then we want to be justified. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's really great. I, my, the, the finishing part of that thought was to say, I think what can happen is we know how to talk about perpetrators because we all are perpetrators and we all are, but we don't know how to connect redemption to the victim as well. I don't think our culture does either, actually. I do think they like stories where somebody who has been harmed is made whole again, but I don't really think it's it's either hokey or hard to be honest about. So what's my point in saying all this? I don't think the idea is for the disenfranchised to go, well, just, you know, just let it pass because no. because Christ didn't, it didn't either happen. pretend right, it didn't right, happen because right. Christ didn't either. God was honest about the brokenness of the world, yeah. the yes. seriousness of the sin, and the cost it took was something we could not pay yeah. for. So I think when you look to what what redemption allows us to do is forgive the perpetrator yes. and empathize with the victim. That's do, so good. do you know what I, empathize yes. with both probably? But to empathize, in other words, you can be on the front lines with those who have been persecuted because you can look into their situation and know that there's brokenness and know what you've been rescued from. Yes. You don't have to sugarcoat it. You don't have to lie or minimize or whatever the brokenness of the world, whether that's racial injustice or abuse or whatever it might be, poverty, these kind of things. We can say, no, poverty exists. I don't have to be afraid to say that. Poverty exists. Yes. There's systemic issues. And I can stand alongside you uh, and cry out to the Lord. Yes. And if I think where the healing, and we're not talking necessarily about reconciliation on this one, but I do think where that where that starts to take place is where both sides can be honest with one another. So it's one person saying, yes, you have been harmed and I have been a part of that harming. And the other person then not going, and I cry for blood, but being able to say you have harmed. And now I can free, now I can offer you this free thing of forgiveness. And it's true because it's been acknowledged, right? It's not yes. just like a passing over. It's a um, or a, for, a forgetfulness or something like that. I think it's, the point you're bringing up you, is so okay. important. I don't the know, truth maybe. here, no, that, and tell me if I'm not explaining exactly what you're saying right, but that forgiveness and consequences both go hand in hand. Yeah. yeah. That, like, yes. uh, I think That's the example that we yeah. have screwed up so many times in America, at least in the church, is that I've heard over and over again of churches where a woman has been abused and they've called on her to forgive her abuser. Yeah. I'm like, hey, it's fine to call on somebody to forgive, but there can be consequences of that abuse. Mm-hmm. I mean, she is not safe in that home. Right. Or she divorces somebody because she was being abused in that home. She should not be shamed yeah. because of divorce. It's yeah. that home was an abandonment of the covenant which they agreed to, which has led to her life being in danger, then she can both forgive and the consequence of the sin that has happened is that that marriage will no longer exist. Well, yeah. And, it, and there's the, an accepting of the... for. Again, we're getting into re- reconciliation, but I do think true reconciliation comes when there's an accepting of the consequences on the behalf of yeah. the perpetrating yeah. party. It's like yeah. godly repentance. It's a, yeah. That's yeah. godly Sincerity. repentance. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know, and I think 
one to say that I think it's you you fully recognize and value forgiveness when you're able to be held accountable for what you've done. Yes. Um, and outside of that, you can. And I think it's this idea that our redemption is both with us personally, but it's also for us to restore creation. That's right. It's this idea that we should be pressing into these areas to stand with those who have been harmed, but yep. to also how push to operate in this world in such a way that we can reflect God in systems and structures so that the way things were designed to be is that the way is that's the way things can be. Yeah. That's good. Um, yeah. and so we just don't forgiveness. I think sometimes we can, it can seem to fall flat yeah. that, Oh, you know, somebody can just walk away. But it's like, no, we call out the wrong. We hold someone accountable for it. We know that in grace we have been forgiven, but we also push forward as God's people to make sure these things systematically don't happen again. Yes. Yeah. We still fight against injustice mm-hmm. in the same moment that we cry for forgiveness. Right. Yeah. right? So it, I think of even, uh, and all of us, I think would agree with this, a substance abuser who has damaged not only his own life, but the family around him can be forgiven of that. But the consequence might be, hey, you're you're not, we don't feel safe with you around substances. We don't feel safe with you endangering yourself the way you used to. We don't, or somebody who is suicidal, we we don't feel safe with you being by yourself right now. We would all say there are consequences Mm -hmm. to what's difficult and broken in this world. And at the same time, we wouldn't say that's saying they're beyond redemption or that's not believing they're a forgiven person. It's saying we walk in wisdom and the consequences of our own sin. Yeah, I think the other side of that, that's a really good point. And just to, to drive home, I think the other side of that, what's different about it, and I want to make sure we say this, about that than what the world does is that because we believe, as Elizabeth said, as you've said, Adam, because we believe God is the ultimate judge, right? Right. We don't have to find, we don't have to seek that vengeance on our own. Yes. In other words, yes, while, and uh, we're speaking a lot in ideals. I know things are messier than, than this. but Way more messy. But we, what, we don't have to participate in the public shaming, in the public vilifying and crucifying of, of people, Right, uh, that that our that our culture loves right now, loves that stuff, and there's so many problems with it. Not just not just that uh, that it's oh man, that it's that it's just so vengeance based, yeah. right? Um, but you know, there's many other things that. But you I think it's a, into. That's but, a, I, but, but vengeance is a debt based culture, right? Like because you've point. done this, you owe this. Mm-hmm. That's my point. And what's great about Christ is that He's forgiven our debts, and yeah. He's called on us to forgive our debtors. Yeah. And that is not necessarily to pretend sin doesn't happen, but it is to fight sin, to deal with the consequences of our own sin and others. And uh, what you pointed out about God being judged in Corinthians, Paul would say, "I can't even judge myself." Not because I would find myself too guilty, but he says, I would find myself too innocent. It's Because res- I know why I do the things I do. It's restorative, not retributive. That's what I would say. Okay, good. In other words, it's not saying, I'm going to give you what you deserve, you horrible human being. It's going, mm-hmm. this is, there are consequences to your actions yeah. that are going to be accepted. And what the hope in the end of all that is that restoration takes place. Yes. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It's why Christians would participate in the criminal justice system without saying, hey, why aren't we just letting everybody go free and saying they won't do it again? No, because there's a consequence to action. And it's not necessarily retributive. I don't know if that's the right word. If that is a word, I don't know. Retributive is a word. Okay, good. Thank you. Um, Well, that was a a great conversation about redemption. I actually have a lot more to think about and probably a lot more to say, but I am so grateful that we get to celebrate what the Lord has done for us, where the justice for my own mistakes has been already paid in Jesus Christ. That in the court before God, the Father, as our judge, I get to walk in perfect righteousness, not because of my own doings or not because of my own thoughts, only because I have faith in Jesus Christ, whose life has paid the price for mine.
So if there's anything you heard on the show that you'd like to know more about, you can find details at our website. Today's episode was produced by David Roark and edited and mixed by Chris Starrett. We'll see you next time. God bless. Thanks for listening. <laughs>